Welcome, everybody, to the Shop Notes podcast, a weekly woodworking podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber. I'm joined today by Logan Whitmer and John Doyle, as always. It's episode 37, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the improvisation of woodworking. So let's get started. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. So shout out a wood and a project and a location. Go. Right. And, and a style. We're working, working improv. Yeah. It's beat style woodworking. I'm calling Colin Mockery if we're doing improv. <laughs> I think John's the Wayne Brady. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's where I'm going with that is uh, I'm working on one of my Christmas presents. And I'm inspired by a couple of plans, a couple of different plans. I've kind of smushed them together and now pulling them apart into something totally different. Uh, along with it, I'm contending with the joinery decisions that were made in the plans and whether I want to freestyle off of that or uh, go with it. So, so I know, Logan, you want to take yours in probably a little different direction, but in my case, the, uh, the project that I'm building is out of plywood, and both of the plans that I've been inspired by are essentially just uh, attaching the plywood panels with glue and screws mm -hmm. uh, or possibly dowels in a couple of places. And so my question to you is when do you kind of riff on that and then maybe use a different style of joinery? Uh, so we're talking about the thing you were building in the shop the other day without saying it, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is funny because I sent the picture to my wife because I'm like, hey, this is actually really cool. Like, this is something I could see us using. And she was very confused by the picture because I happened to snap it while you were talking about something and pointing at the picture. And she's like, the picture he's pointing at is tiny. I'm like, no, look at, look at the big picture. Like, <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, so when, when do you... I guess you're, you're asking when you up the joiner game or when you change, change it, right? Right. So like the two plants use screw and glue. Um, yeah. That's totally legitimate. I get that. But I ended up going with dados and rabbits just because mm -hmm. I like the um, confidence of being able to register parts in the place where they're supposed to be. Yeah, which I, I guess that is where I make that decision is – is there one joint that is better than the other for this application? And I think from a strength standpoint, glue, screws, dowels, and rabbits and dados are all pretty much on level playing field, right? Sure. But where you get the heads up in using dados and rabbits, like you said, is that positive registration. You know everything's going to snap together, right? Yeah. Kind of after sanding and beating on it with a mallet. Sure. Um, so I guess that's where I make that decision. The only other time I would potentially change the 
joinery on a plan or on a project is if from a design standpoint, I think a different joinery technique is going to look better. Um, or if it's just, I don't want to mess with it. <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> so, I mean, and where I say that is uh, some of the recent projects that, um, had, that Mark Hopkins, our, our shop craftsman, has built have had large mitered cases. And every time I walk in there, you can tell when he's working on a project with mitered cases because his eyes are just about this big around and he looks like he's ready to stab something with a chisel. Um, so, like, an application like that, like, I understand the, the aesthetic um, choice of saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to design this with miter so I can have continuous grain all the way around. You have a seamless joint there. Uh, personally, if that if I was building that, uh, let's use the let's use the uh, the, Vi the LP console that I'm sure John's sitting at right now. Yep, I'm sitting here at it. Yep, and it has mitered joints. Personally, I'm not gonna miter those joints. <laughs> I mean, if, <laughs> at that point, I would rather just dovetail them. You know what I mean? I'd rather not just I'd rather not fight it. Uh, yeah. So. To me, it's an it's an aesthetic choice, but it's also a functional choice. Is one going to function better than the other, either uh, during use or during assembly, such as the Dado and Rabbits, uh, or is one of them going to look better, in my opinion? Yeah. Or is one of them going to be pain in my butt like miters? <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in Phil's corner as far as when it comes to gluing and screwing joints versus dados rabbits that kind of thing because i just in the assembly process i like what you said is registering the parts they're going where they're supposed to go there's not anything moving around or shifting as you're assembling it and so even from a assembly process it's a lot better even more than just a functional and aesthetic type thing where i'll i'll just go to that much more work to to do that just for my peace of mind but yeah i mean i've been known to glue and screw butt joint stuff if it's for like somebody <laughs> that i hate like no not that i hate this i don't really care about like i don't care about you you're the guest book attendant of my wedding so you <laughs> but isn't that the the job you give somebody you don't really like is they're the guest book attendant right your wedding it's like i don't really like you here but I have, like you're a second cousin. I have to give you something. So. Yeah, so that you don't offend an aunt or something like that. <laughs> That's just what I've always thought. So if if one of John's family members have are listening and they got a project that was butt joint and screwed <laughs> together, I don't think it happens very often. <laughs> Here's your sign. Yeah. Or you were the guest book attendant at my wedding. <laughs> I don't remember who that would have been, but sorry. Well, and I guess there's there is a there's a point where I guess it doesn't really matter either. You know what I mean? Like if it's oh, yeah. a hidden joint, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. I'm working on uh, all day today after I got a video studio. I've been working on doing callouts on a, uh, a grandfather clock we're building, and the there's a like a riser box that goes on the bottom of it. It's basically a hollow four sided box that the entire clock case sits on. Okay. And the front and side trim are mitered together, so you have that continuous grain. Sure. But then the back is just slapped in there, and it's 
it's butt joints and there's no not even any screws it's just glued onto the back of it um which is completely functional in this instance you know you don't see it no reason to put screws in there because you'd see the screws through the side of the case um so you know there's there is a there there's a point where i guess in joinery it's like why go the extra step when it doesn't matter you know like why put that in a you know in a you know why do a tongue and dado joint back there when functionally it doesn't matter i mean it might make the parts click together a little bit better click together air quotes uh but doesn't matter here's another question that's related to it. And I remember, I think I did a Q&A on this a number of years ago. Um, we had the question of, on some of our plywood pieces where we put a face frame on, we'll just basically stick build the face frame onto the plywood case. So two questions. Do you, would you use some kind of a joinery method for the face frame, A, B, do you use some sort of a joinery method to attach said face frame to the case, whether that's uh, biscuits or splines or, you know, and then on the face frame itself, do you go the full mortise and tenon, you just stick build it, pocket screws, you know? I always attach face frames to each other. So I build a face frame assembly and then I glue that to the case. I don't generally use biscuits or dowels or anything. Usually it's a glue and some pin nails. Okay. Um, just just to hold it in place. I, I like the I like having some sort of connection between the rails and styles on a face frame. Um, whether that is pocket screws, which tend to be my go-to just because it's fast and easy and you'll never yeah. see it, right? Um, and it's gonna hold together just fine once everything's glued glued on um the only instance i guess i would do a mortise and tendon on face frame would be for my own like if i was building something i'm like hey i want this to be you know true to the original if i'm you know copying something or making a reproduction of something that's when i would maybe do that and that would be only for my own peace of mind not necessarily for any functionality uh, because i think once it's on there it's on there uh, but yeah. I do like having that mechanical connection between rails and styles because if you do grab a piece of trim and rock it and it would break off, I feel like you get a little more strength holding onto the styles than just glued onto a shelf. Sure. Yeah, I'm the I'm probably the same way. They're just like glue the face frame to the case. I don't necessarily pocket screw the styles. In, or the rails under the styles unless it's like a wider piece and then I'll stick a pocket screw in kind of where it's hanging out where like you were saying where you might grab it and then kind of twist and pull away I might you know pocket throw a pocket screw in there but other, sure. other than that if it's it's glued to the case it's pretty solid so I'm not too worried about it not going anywhere so that being said like you know you know, these are decisions that you can make either before you're building a project or in the course of making a project. And that's where my, the topic of improvisation comes is that it seems like, um, especially projects that we've come up with out of our own head or were inspired by something else that they're, you know, 
you can follow a plan or develop a procedure or something, but at some point it feels like you go, I don't know, you start improvising, not in a bad way where you're compromising something that's going to change the functionality of it, but you're going to freestyle a little bit. Yeah. On that, yeah, on that note, uh, I'm building a little bookcase um, at home in the garage. And I knew that the general size is going to be like 40 inches tall and 30 inches wide and 12 inches deep. And as I'm like kind of laying this out and designing it, I realize if I make it 38 or 39 inches tall and 28, 29 inches wide, I can get all of my parts out of two eight foot boards where if I would have just gone from the original dimensions, I would have had to bleed over into another board or several other boards and had a lot of waste. Whereas if like I'm planning this out and, you know, seeing what the lumber is and same thing when like you're, you're designing something maybe to fit in all one sheet of plywood or, or that kind of thing. So kind of laying things out to be the most efficient when, um, the finish size doesn't really matter as long as it's kind of close to what, what you were planning, you might be able to get, you know, save quite a bit just by shrinking it down a little bit to, to fit, you know, uh, dimensional lumber or the materials that you have. So kind of fits with what you're saying. Yeah. See, and I guess I'm kind of different because if I'm building a project, contrary to how you guys see me work, which you guys might not believe this, I like to have everything planned out up front. You like, you know what I mean? Like, just thinking about the last couple big projects I've built, which would be um, the park table, sleigh bed. Um, I have some nightstands that I haven't finished, but they're in there. I like to have everything at least worked out in my head how it's going to go. And it's I guess it's very rare that I actually change something from how I planned it. You know what I mean? Like... Um, the one instance was that poker table. I was planning on biscuit joining all those miters together. And it just, after I got everything there and sort of looking at it, I realized that they were not going to be strong enough. Um, so that's where I did. I changed something like that. Um, but from a, you know, turning standpoint, which I've been doing a lot lately, you know, it's funny. I had all these ash bowls sitting here. I turned all of these things in like one day and it's, it's interesting because these, what, six of them here, uh, everyone's a different shape. It's kind of like you're kind of designing it on the fly as you're turning. And now, you, as somebody that, that turns often but not daily, I guess I'm, I don't know if I would say I'm trying to find a shape that I like for these bowls. Because everyone's, I mean, you know, we got a weird one here with a OG on it. Um, we got just some squatty, weird-looking ones, you know? As as somebody that doesn't turn all the time, I guess I don't have that production turner um, shape that I've recreated hundreds of times. Um, so I guess that's where I do kind of. I'm gonna be artistic about this and not stay freestyle. That's where I let the wood tell me what it wants to be. Right. <laughs> but, and what catch you need to remove. Exactly. Yeah. Or what crack or what you know stupid thing you need to get out of there um but yeah but i don't think there's that being said i don't think there's anything wrong with in the middle of building a project changing something you know what i mean yeah like whether it's changing a joinery technique or um 
a material or, or just changing the process that you planned out, but now you're going to do differently. Yeah. Cause I was, um, you know, like we've done that and that's part of the theme of like the last two seasons of the TV show that we've had is taking projects and the existing plans for them and then riffing on it and coming up with something a little bit different and how easy that is um, when you have plans to start with. So it's like, um, I kind of look at it like cooking a little bit because I do a lot of the cooking for my family. So, and they routinely ask me knowing the question, like if I made something, if I followed the recipe on it, cause I didn't, <laughs> you know, I usually am inspired by a recipe and if it's like a bakery item, then I'll follow the recipe because that's a little bit more chemistry. But, mm-hmm. you know, things like soups or, um, you know, a one pot meal or something like that, it's really easy to start making substitutions on it. And in yep. the same way with woodworking, I'll often take plans and use that as a launch pad for, you know, changing the size to suit uh the space that I have for it, or like John, you know, I have a given amount of wood that's kind of squirreled away, you know, say all of this quarter sawn white oak matches and that's all I got. So if that's the case, then you kind of work around that and then change something to, to fit. Yeah. But I guess that's more on the upfront, right? Like that's not necessarily in the middle of building the project. Like that's something, you know, as you're doing your mental planning. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And so I guess that's that's where I guess I'm seeing a difference because, you know, I, we have the mental, I, at least myself, when I go to build something, I have a mental checklist like, you know, hey, here's, here's what I need to cut parts-wise. Here's how I'm planning on joining them. Here's, a, you know, kind of where I'm hoping to get today and then tomorrow and yada, yada. Um, rather than you're in the middle of a project, you have parts cut, and then you change something. Right. So, yeah. which, that can, I guess that can be a, the changes in the middle of a, a, a project can be because of a mistake. Sure, yes. Or it could just be an epiphany moment where you say, hey, you know what, if I do this instead, this happens, and I like that better. Right, and I guess that's where I'm going is that, there's the part of a project where, you know, you get that epiphany that, you know, hey, instead of a frame and panel plywood door, I'm going to go with, you know, something else. Yeah. Yeah, I've had uh, quite a few surprise changes in my woodworking where it's like, whoops, I wasn't supposed to put that joinery here or this rabbit there. I guess I'm going to have a walnut inlay there now. <laughs> it's a feature. Yeah. Which is funny because, like, in the turning world, I, you know, a couple of the turning classes I've taken, everyone says, oh, you know, if you blow out the bottom of the bowl and you go into your chuck, you just put an inlay in the bottom. But everybody knows what happened. You know? <laughs> everybody <laughs> secretly knows what happened. Right. Yeah, we've had a few of those uh, filming for the show where it's like, 
oh, this mortise was supposed to be a different size. Well, now we're going to do something a little different here and just keep working. And so it happens. That's part of woodworking. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny. Dylan's building a, he's building the Rubo style bench right now. And I was in the shop yesterday. He's like, well, that didn't take long. I was like, what? And he's like, well, I just drilled all these mortises in the wrong spot. It's like, you know what? Peg it with pegs and redrill it. You know, yeah. it is what it is. Part of the process. Yeah. So, Logan, what have you been turning recently? Um, you know, so I have these ash bowls sitting in front of me. I got six of them. I showed those. Um, this week I was, so last Friday I took off. Um, that was before we podcasted, or that was after we podcasted, right? Yeah. 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 So I took Friday off, and I, one of my um, arborists that I work with he had a big and a beautiful cherry log for me to go mill and a bunch of other logs. So I went and did that on Friday. And part of the cherry tree that was left there was a couple of stump sections. They had cut them off the stump already, they were just kind of laying there. And they were really burly looking, like not like John and myself, but like they looked, they had some really. <laughs> They had some really cool grain. So I cut those into some bowl blanks. And uh, after we were done milling that day and brought them into the studio this week and turned a cherry bowl uh, for our video edition subscribers, which I think was kind of cool. It was a, it was just kind of showing roughing a bowl blank, um, which is what these are. So these are uh, much thicker than like a finished bowl will be. These are about an inch thick or so. Um but before I jumped on this call, I was doing some research because one of the one of the things that this arborist asked me was if I could make some duck calls for him out of this burly cherry. And I was like, you know, Sean, I think I could probably do that. And he called me today and said, hey, I'm going to drop one of those slabs off with you. I'm like, well, you realize it's going to take two years for this to dry, right? Like till we can, I mean, we literally just cut it last week. Uh, but then I started thinking there has to be a way to get a two by two blank to dry. So I was doing a little bit of research. Microwave. Well, <laughs> I've tried that once in our old video studio. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, you can do that. Uh, but what I have found is a lot of turners seem to have a very, uh, have very good luck using denatured alcohol. So you basically take the wet wood uh-huh. You submerge it in denatured alcohol for 48 hours, and then okay. you pull it out, wrap it in like a brown paper bag, and put it on the shelf for four weeks. And supposedly it's perfectly dry when it's done. Hmm. I don't know the chemistry behind it, All but right. there is a lot. It, like the alcohol somehow displaces the water, right? Um, also, you can boil them. So if you take this bowl when it's green, drop it in boiling water for a couple of minutes, the boiling water ruptures the, the cells within the fibers of the wood. And then the water that is in those cells seeps out into the fibers between the cells and it evaporates much quicker and easier, I guess. So there's all this fascinating like uh, techniques that these turners do to get green wood dry quicker. So before I came down to jump on this podcast with you guys, I'm researching where I can buy denatured alcohol in bulk and hopefully not get the EPA called on me. Yeah. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. And still be so, able to fly. Exactly. Exactly. So 
Uh, yeah, so that's what I've been turning this week. Uh, I got some more milling to do. I did some more milling last week and have some more to do this weekend. Some more salvage opportunistic trees, I guess. I did a big curly maple log last week, and I got the rest of that to do this week, which will be fun. So, yeah. Got some paying jobs there as well to mill. So it's been a lot of it's been a lot of uh, milling and turning instead of projects. But I have to get back on the project bandwagon here <laughs> shortly. But Chunk of Trunk LLC is doing really well. Sounds like Chunk of, Chunk of Trunk LLC is working out great. No, it was funny because. Yeah, and this is surprising to me. And this, I guess, we had a uh, last week we had a um, listener question asking about, you know, hey, well, I can't find a sawmill in Houston, right? I I set up my saw I set up my sawmill in Cedar Rapids uh, at my grandparents' house Saturday morning. Before I even had it unhooked from the truck, I had four cars stop and say, hey, did you guys rent that? I'm like, no, I own it. They said, oh, I need a business card because I have been looking for week. I mean, literally four cars within the first 15 minutes said I've been looking for somebody to come out and mill these trees in my yard uh, so I can make something out of them, which is kind of it, it's kind of odd to me to hear that because, I mean, around us in Des Moines, there's a dozen sawmills that you can bring stuff oh, yeah. to and come out and get them. So uh, so kind of interesting. So it kind of puts uh, puts maybe some of the other. Uh, locations in the U.S. in perspective where maybe there aren't these mills around or there are and people just don't necessarily know how to find them. Right. I think that's probably more it that a, you know, how many woodworkers know about portable sawmills yep. and b, how many in the general public do or where to look to find it, you know? Yeah, because I will say that most uh, of the four people that stopped and then I went out to look at their trees. Uh, one of them was a woodworker. Three of them were not. Yeah. So, so the three definitely did not know where, um, where to look. Uh, they were more, uh, which I love seeing this. They were more of a, you know, hey, this tree I grew up with. I've lived here for fifty years, or my parents have lived here for fifty years. Now I do. This tree I grew up with is now down. I want to salvage something out of it. And whether they're going to make something or they're going to have something made for them, it's just is kind of a – it's a fun thing to see. That's what I like about oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So two years from now, they're going to be calling you, hey, can you make <laughs> something out of this wood that you milled two years ago? Maybe. Uh, maybe. I uh, hope not. <laughs> I didn't pick that one over real well. Yeah. They'll find you. <laughs> yeah. So what's Cedar Rapids like now? Is it looking better? It is getting it is getting better. Um, so the reason I went out last weekend is because my grandparents' streets was my grandparents happened to live two blocks apart, so their small neighborhood had been picked up at least the first round. So yeah. the first round of debris was taken out to make room for the second round of debris that was still in people's yards. You know, so. It's it's still a mess, um, and I thought about that. I was like, I should have really brought my leaf blower to clean up the street after I'm done milling, you know? <laughs> There's the, the, ain't nobody caring right now in Cedar Rapids. Like, <laughs> the next Rachel will blow it all away. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, at this point, people are in Cedar Rapids are just hoping that the piles are gone before snow hits. Oh. 
So, because, I mean, you figure all this brush is on the sidewalk, which for those listeners that don't live in a snowy climate, uh, when you snowplow the road, it ends up in your front yard, basically. I mean, it ends up piled on the side of the road, which happens to be where all the brush is right now. So it's yeah. going to be a real mess if they don't actually get it cleaned up before the first snow hits. But I would expect they will. Yeah. We'll see. But it looks better. It will take a long time. I mean, the landscape changed completely. Oh, and, yeah. You know, no more trees. <laughs> so. Yeah. John, what have you been working on? Well, after being stuck in the house all last week with the kiddos and um, remote learning school, I was pretty bored. So uh, last weekend was really nice uh, outside weather-wise and got out to the garage and see, I was working on the playhouse that started back in the spring, uh, putting on some railing and stuff there which were the, ki the kids were excited about. So they get excited anything time, anything new gets put on the, the playoffs. So <laughs> they were playing in that a lot. And so they were underfoot and picking up all my scraps and wanting to build stuff. So they were finding little four by four chunks and like, dad, let's make this into a pumpkin. So then I was distracted with that. And, you know, they were sanding these little blocks of wood and painting them orange and put little stems on them and, that kind of thing. And then I mentioned uh, building a bookcase. A couple oh, weekends yeah. ago, we were at some antique store, and my wife saw this little shabby, chic bookcase. And I opened <laughs> my mouth and said, well, I could build that. So <laughs> where my mouth is and building a little Strong bookcase. So, and he will have five times the amount of money yeah, into it yeah. than just buying it. With more time. It's like, oh, if I just would have paid that small amount of money i would have freed up a couple weekends and i've been working on that a little bit and uh today i found or uh you said dylan was you know building his workbench all it's all out of salvaged timbers from a building here in des moines uh douglas fir timbers and so he had all these little cut off chunks that he like probably like 12 to 18 inches long of doug fir uh so I was pulling those out of the garbage can and like resawing those. Like I could build a little like toad out of this or something. So that's another. To be thing fair, though, they're super nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, sure. like it's some old growth stuff. It's really tight grain. You know, I was I did the same thing. I looked at it. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna let some other hobo get that out of the garbage. Yeah, so John was see, the there hobo. It is. Tight grain, and then like. We saw it open and it's just beautiful straight grain douglas fir but there's not much of it so kind of like what we said just kind of improvising here of what i can make out of this you know wood there's a lot of you know stuff to resaw here but it's nothing longer than 15 to 18 inches long so make little boxes or totes you know yeah. Well, it's, it's it's about the same size as that redwood I reclaimed. So yeah. like house yeah. or lanterns or stuff like yeah. that, you know. Something small, something gifty, you know. But just make sure that as you're uh, sanding away that lead-based paint, you're yeah. sniffing. Yeah. yeah. The other thing is like, yeah, there was a lot of nails, the stuff that he cut off. There's some nails in there, and so we'll see if I can avoid that. But there's some good stuff here to work with. So that's a imp impromptu project that I wasn't planning on but it's like I can't let this go to waste 
Which is funny because John's not generally the one I see diving for scraps. No, Usually it's never. Phil or myself. Yeah. Like. Yep. I mean, I'm not the one. I'm not the. I'm not the one that edge glues plywood right. together. Like who, raise your hand if you've ever edge glued half inch plywood together to make wider panels. Anyone? Oh. For the record, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of that. I will, I will maximize my plywood in order to get. (laughs) We we were in the the shop this morning. We were in the shop this morning, and John's like, "Logan, is this yours?" I was like, "You think I'm edging plywood together?" I was like, "You know whose that is? That is not mine." (laughs) Like, oh, I cut all these pieces of plywood down to fit into my car. Now I'm gluing the plywood back to the original size. They were leftover pieces of plywood. Yeah. So, you know what? And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just funny. Yeah. Although, have you ever edge glued MDF? Edge glued MDF? uh, Yes. Okay. Fair enough. I've planed MDF down. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, uh, I worked with a, a cabinet maker, woodworker here in town. Um, he needed some help on a project for the University of Iowa for their some of their locker rooms and the athletic facilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of it was like architectural woodworking. So it's like wall panels and, yeah. you know, decorative things like that. But he had um, several sections of uh, paneling that he needed to put together that was, you know, eight or ten feet long. Uh, and it was going to end up being like 30 feet wide or something. So mm-hmm. some of those pieces we ended up putting together and it was MDF core plywood because to get the highest rating on it, you have to have MDF core so that it's flat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to get it the width that we needed, we edge glued it, which kind of blew my mind, but he, he edge glued it and then used biscuits and, uh, you know, yeah, it did look great. So. Okay. So not for a project on my own, but yes, I have edge glued MDF core plywood. You know, I was just thinking, I, I looked over to my workbench or my outfeed table. There's a ton of crap stacked under it. One of them is um, uh, a tool tote that I got from you, Phil. I think Brian Nelson built. It's out of... Uh, Quarters on Douglas fur, right? It's that pulled out one of the, the lids. Oh yeah, yeah, I think that would work well for John's stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could actually like scarf joint some of that stuff together to make it longer. Maybe I'm kind of feeling like a what's the biggest thing John can make out of this block <laughs> of fur? Yeah. Right. Like how far can he stretch it? Yeah. I'll take that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what can you make with a eight foot long eight by eight? Build the biggest thing you can. There we go. Yeah. Maybe a boat. Maybe. A boat. Well, Phil, what are you so, working on? Uh, I have a kind of a Christmas present going on. That's the one that's occupying my time right now. And I'm going to be um, sticking with that, see if I can finish it up. I've kind of lost interest in a couple of my other projects, and mostly just from time. Yeah. You know, a time standpoint, just not having the uh, shop time to do it. I just need to make the time to get back at those. But can't well, say I mean, what they are fair. right now. But 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we've had a lot of between trying to get video work done, magazine stuff. I feel like I've been lacking shop time too. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it's like weekends have been other stuff, and my real shop time has been on camera, which is it real? I mean, it's shop time, but it's not real shop time. It's not relaxing yeah. shop time. No. So. Yeah. After we get the next issue out, we'll have a lot more time. <laughs> <laughs> we say every issue. Yes. The publishers lie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so. But I, I must say, that, I mean, I'm not going to give your, your secret away, but the project you're working on is not something that I would have thought about. But it's like, it's very, it screams very like 70s outdoor life to me. Is kind of what it screams to me, and I really like it. And I have a feeling I showed my wife, and she's like, when she finally understood what the picture was, she's like, "Oh, that's cool." So, See? that's what I'm telling yeah. you. So John, do you know what it is? YouTube, no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> on YouTube, guess what it is in the comments below. Right. <laughs> so far. Right. Yeah. Wrong answer. Life. Yeah. Edge glued plywood. And go. What could it be? Yeah. So, so real quick, Phil. While we're while you mentioned edge glue plywood again, have you ever had an issue where the I don't want to say you see the joint, like if if the, the panels are a little uneven and you go to sand them, have you ever sanded through the face veneer doing that? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, was like, I thought you were to say no, and I was going to tell you you suck. <laughs> yeah. No, I and I've done it only on. Uh, times where I knew I was going to paint it. Otherwise, I'm taking some pretty great pains to keep it aligned. You know, on three-quarter inch plywood, I'll sometimes use biscuits for the alignment of it. Um, Otherwise, it's just really careful, uh, careful glue-ups and knowing what's your your good face. You know, sometimes the plywood will vary in thickness even within the same sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'll, if that happens, then I know that the, the offset joint as small as it is, will be inside or on the bottom or something like that. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so are you going to, you're going to paint this obviously? Yeah. It's since it's going to be kind of living its life mm-hmm. outside, I was going to use some of, uh, general finishes, milk paint. Okay. So, okay. A couple of different Painted colors outside. 70s life, outdoor life. Edge glued plywood. Edge glued plywood. I mean, yeah. would you say that's an accurate, like, yeah. description of oh, it? Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like it's, like, very 70s Boy Scout-ish, which is super fun to me. Like, it's... Boy Scout. Oh, now we've... <laughs> now it's pretty much giving it away. Right. I'm going to flip through all my old Boys, boys Life magazines. <laughs> It'll be in there. It's in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, uh, is it a, wait is it a uh, hoverboard kit yes <laughs> it uses three squirrel cage motors yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay mm-hmm. I see Yeah. there you go alright if you have any questions comments or smart remarks for us here on the shop notes podcast we'd love to read them and hear what you have to say uh, otherwise if you're wherever you get your podcasts please Give us a good rating and a review to get this podcast in front of other woodworkers. Uh, If you don't like listening, you don't have to. 
So there you go. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast, and we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. Furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com. Thank you.